0: Welcome to Christ Church. The following is a homily from our Sunday morning gathering in Tulsa, Oklahoma. Enjoy. As I looked at the John 9 passage this week, I think that we all can see there's no big aha, that Jesus is saying, hey, you got a vision problem here. And... It made me wonder, what, what is the cure for spiritual blindness? And so I thought maybe we would talk about that today. And at the beginning of the story, one of the things that happens is there's a reference to an old adage, a cultural thought that has been passed down. And we have those, right? Um, there's, I haven't heard this one too much in my lifetime, but I think maybe 100 years ago we would have heard someone say, an idle brain is the devil's workshop. But actually research shows that boredom is really important for creativity and imagination. So there are these things that we say to make sense of life, to motivate people to do better, but are they really true even though we repeat them? How about better safe than Sorry. Well, I can think of a few times I was like, yeah, better safe than sorry. But then there are things in our life, there are there's purpose and progress that requires us to take risks into the unknown. So I don't think that better safe than sorry is always true. Or how about this one? Practice makes perfect. Well, let me tell you, I have used my mom's chocolate chip cookie recipe my entire life and I still cannot bake those cookies. So they never turn out. So in my experience, practice does not always make perfect. And my favorite, cleanliness is next to godliness. Yeah, right? Okay, so here's the thing. I'm not a health professional, so if you're a doctor or a pharmacist or a nurse, you're probably going to tell me after the service how to say this better. But what my understanding is that we actually need to be exposed to germs and dirt in order for our body to know how to fight off germs and dirt and sickness, right? Um, so I think that we need to have a little bit of messiness in our lives. And then in my case, again, I'm just totally telling on myself this morning, um, I was the messy child in the family, and everybody else was neat and tidy. And so that phrase kind of got thrown around in reference to my bedroom. And so imagine the wonder and the joy the day I picked up a book called A Beautiful Mess. And it talked about how those of us who need all the piles in front of us Our brains are just organized differently. Let me say this very clearly. They are organized. I know some of you are like, there's no way. But they are just differently than those of you who can line it all up so beautifully. And I just have to tell you, I really admire you. I just can't organize it the way Gary McKinney, the person I've been married to for 30 years, organizes his desk. So those are things that we hear and we, we say, but they're not always true. And as Jesus is walking down the road with his friends and followers, they come upon a man who's been blind his whole life. And the first thing his friends and followers think of is, you know what? What happened? Because obviously there's some sin in his family or in his life that's caused this. And Jesus, you seem to know the scoop on everybody. So what happened here? What did he do? What did his mom and dad do? What caused this? And, and Jesus responds by saying, you're asking the wrong question. You're asking the wrong question. Our job today is not to ask who's to blame, who's right, or who's better, but rather with everything that he does in the moments that follow, he shows them the right question in that moment was, what can God do here? And so I imagine he asked the man, would you like to see? And I'm sure his answer was, please, yes. A whole life of begging from the street corner. I would love to be able to see. Jesus takes dirt in his hand, spits on it, puts a little saliva in there, mixes it up, and then he smears it on his eyes. Anybody done that lately? And then he says to the young man, go to the pool of Siloam and wash your eyes. And when he did, and all the saliva and dirt and mud came off, he could see. He comes back to his community, and we have another whole list of incorrect questions being asked. One of them, so uh, where is this guy that healed you? Prove it to me. Like, who is he? We'd like to know. I actually am taking a little angle on this, right? So you may go, that's that's not what I heard in the text, so I'm just telling you what I hear. I heard, wait, after three times, how, how did your eyes get open? No, that other answer wasn't correct. Let's try again. How did your eyes get open? Or what do you say about this Jesus guy? Because obviously they weren't fans. And so what do you say? What your answer is depends on, like, determines how we feel about you and what we do with him. Or to the parents. Hey, he's your son. Can't you explain this? What's going on here? Obviously there's, there's something here. And I love the parents going, um, "He can speak for himself. He's all grown up." And at the very end, the religious leaders saying, "Are are you calling us blind?" Kind of a defensive. What? Who? Ha, are you kidding? Us blind? All these questions that are the wrong questions, because the good questions could and would have been. Tell me the story of how your eyes were opened. It's fascinating. I'd love to hear it. See, there's a difference, not in just the words, but the tone. Or the question that was asked, the one really good question, um, how can a bad man do miraculous, God-revealing things? I think we need to take a step back here and think about that. Or really wanting to know, what do you think about Jesus? Tell us. We'd love to know what you think and at the end of the encounter, Jesus comes to this young man and he has not seen Jesus yet. And so he's talking to him and he basically says, Don't, don't you recognize my voice? Do you, do you, Is anything sound familiar here? All oh, good questions. Questions that say, Hey, what can we do for this man? who's had to beg from the street corners his entire life, how can we restore his family and his vocation, his purpose, his hope? What in this moment can we show everyone around about God's love for them in their most desperate situations? And what can God do with a little dirt and saliva? You see, wonder is an exercise for expanding our spiritual vision it's one way to tackle spiritual blindness to wonder to ask a better question that helps us see the sacred in the mud and the saliva moments also jesus as he interacts with his friends and the formerly blind man and as that man comes back into his community and he interacts with the religious leaders, there's also, in addition to some great examples of the wrong question, also some examples of assumed answers. As the story unfolds, we first start with that old adage, well, if you're blind, you sinned or somebody close to you sinned. So there's that, you know, punishment kind of idea of a struggle in life that is lifelong, and you can't see, and it's your fault. But there's also references to the Sabbath. I imagine, again, I love to imagine, that Jesus woke up on the Sabbath, and he was like, what rule can we break today to kind of stir up this conversation about what the Sabbath really means? Hmm, what should we do today? And so they're in a constant conversation with Jesus about, hey, Jesus, you can't do this stuff on the Sabbath. That would be an assumed truth. You can't do that on the Sabbath. Or how about this one? Listen, only those that are officially in our group can determine what the will of God is. And my favorite, the assumption that if you disagree with me, you are off track with God. Something is wrong with you, not me. Sadly, I've seen examples of that all over Twitter this week. But Jesus and the blind man both encourage an honest humility in their responses to people. The young man decides, I don't know this guy. I think his name's Jesus. He just smeared mud made from dirt and saliva on my eyes and sent me to the pool of Siloam. But I'm going to do it. I'm going to trust. I'm not going to think too hard about this. I'm just going to do it. And then when he comes back, and he keeps getting grilled by the community and by leaders, and they just keep saying, no, 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 that's not the right answer. How, how, how did you come to see? And his response is, listen, all I know is I once was blind, and now I see. I can't tell you how. I don't know why. I just know That once I was blind, and now I see. And then Jesus asks him when they encounter each other again, hey, do you want to see and be introduced to the Son of Man? And he basically says, point me in the right direction. Yes. Oh, I wish so many times in my life when I was in that moment of struggle and discouragement that I responded Lord, just point me in the right direction. I don't have all the answers today, but just point me in the right direction. And Jesus sums up the whole thing by saying, listen, my goal for those who have not been able to see God and see his love for them will finally see it for themselves and the way that it can heal and change their lives. And for those who have gotten comfortable in what we see every day, not desiring to see or understand more, but acting as if they've seen it all. That's something we hear. I've seen it all. I've been around the block a few times. For those of us that say that, that are in that place, we miss so much of what God is doing because we are experiencing spiritual blindness. I have glaucoma which is an eye condition. It sounds really serious, but it's an eye condition that causes damage to the optic nerve. You can't look at my eyes and say, oh, she's got glaucoma. (laughs) Someone has to take a picture on the inside behind my eyeball to the optic nerve. And usually we find glaucoma. When you go to the eye doctor, they do your eye pressure. You may not know that but they take your eye pressure and when they start seeing high eye pressures they start looking for glaucoma here's what happens with glaucoma it doesn't usually have symptoms at first but then and that's why people don't notice it but then over time we slowly lose vision it starts right here in the periphery of our by our noses which is kind of ironic since we have sayings about like something being right there as close as our nose And then you start losing it on the sides, too. But the interesting part is you don't know what you don't know, right? You don't know when you wake up the next day that your vision is less because you can't see what you can't see anymore. And so eventually, though, you realize there's just this little circle (laughs) that you can see from. But at the beginning, you can't see it creeping in on you. But it's a very simple treatment. A few drops a day keeps the eye pressure down and and keeps that shrinking vision at bay. I think that humility is a medicine to prevent our vision, our spiritual vision, from shrinking. Practicing um, humility in our mission projects, our theological banter, our political football, Our cultural divides, whether it's on Twitter or posting on Facebook, in the office or at the family reunion, humility is how we take care of each other. When the answer's on the edges, when the blurry things we just can't quite figure out, that's how we take care of each other, when the answers aren't right there in front of us. I imagine that this story is an invitation to us to ask the question, what can God do here? What healing and understanding can come from being open to messy questions? And what if in the heated conversation, all we say is, all I know is, I once was fill in the blank, and now I am fill in the blank. and We don't try to win or overcome, we just share our truth of what we've experienced? What if we give ourselves and others permission to wonder and to ask better questions that don't blame and don't make someone better or right? And what if we go into each conversation not assuming that we have the answer, but rather We add a few drops of humility so that we don't miss all the good God is doing in the periphery with dirt and saliva.